Hi everybody, it's Terry Neild again from Lessons from the Living Room and today we've got a really great guest in the form of Nick Smith who comes from Glasgow. So he's going to talk about Lenkione's five dysfunctions of a team. So Nick, tell me all about yourself. Well, where do I start? I'm Nick, I run Square Pegs Coaching and I've been in the coaching game for the best part of 20 years. Um, I came out of a, an outdoor job working teaching people to sail and to climb but realized that I enjoyed helping people to learn about themselves through these kinds of activities so came into kind of training and coaching stuff and uh, it's gone from there the kind of stuff that really gets me going is to be able to do things with uh, a group and help them to then learn from that because experiential learning is where I'm at and that's that's kind of what excites me so yeah that's kind of who I am. Um, when I'm not at work, which is rarely, I am the father of a three-year-old. And uh, yes, she is keeping uh, my wife and I quite busy at the moment. And that's all part of it. So I yeah, that's me. <laughs> three-year-old in COVID-19 lockdown situation. Just recipe for disaster at times, I suspect. Um, it can be, yes. But because the weather's been good and we can just go outside and she loves to just run down the golf course. So Lovely. So you talk about experiential learning. What kind of things do you utilise with teams then to see what's going on inside their heads? So often it's very simple stuff that's been around for years, you know, little games that people can do together that they then have to interact. Um, and so there are things that they can look back on and learn from, but also because they've been interacting, they've been physically involved, and so they remember it, and all the learning is sustainable. But for me, it's very much about doing things and then reviewing it properly afterwards. Brilliant. So that the memory and the fun of the game is actually attached to the learning that we got from it about this is how we currently work, so how do we want to in the future? That's exactly how I feel as well. If you can cement something with an activity... You, yeah. you, you're given the opportunity for all sorts of learning to go on. I love the idea. It's really great. So what drew you to the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni? Um, I think there are a number of things about it that it, it's okay. In the first instance, it's a relatively simple model that people can get their heads around. But each stage of it is something that people can identify with and and go yes i have seen that if not in my team today certainly i've seen it in other teams that i've been part of which means that people latch onto it and are willing to use it and apply it to the team that they're in and i suppose the book when i read it just it opened my eyes to a number of things and and i enjoyed it and i thought this is something i can recommend and this is something i can use and so I keep coming back to it. But I think for me, one of the fundamental things about it that I love so much is the fact that the bottom layer is about trust. And for me, that is so key to everything that a team does. And here it is as part of a model from a well-respected guy that I can put across to folks and go, okay, this is where we need to start from. So the foundation of trust, and he talks about the absence of trust. What yeah. kind of uh, examples have you, have you had before when you could specifically see an absence of trust in a team? I think there have been 
there have been so many that it's kind of hard to pick one. But particularly a team where um, they were actively withholding information from other people because they thought it would be used against them. And so they, it was that thing they didn't want to open themselves up to any possibility of becoming vulnerable. And so they just, they closed down the doors and said, right, well, I don't trust any of you. I won't share anything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've noticed that before. Vulnerability is, is becoming quite, I won't say I like to say the buzzword, but it's become very prevalent amongst conversations amongst teams, how people are not willing to be vulnerable because of that fear of, uh, of conflict and of lack, that lack of trust. So yeah, that vulnerability is key. Yeah, and I think, I think particularly with teams who don't know each other as well as they would like to know each other, they kind of, they use that as an excuse for not opening themselves up. And, and ultimately, someone has to start the process or it has to be started for them so, by someone like me so that they can all kind of start at the same time. And all, you know, one of the things I do is to get them to, to share on a big piece of flip chart paper about, you know, this is who I am in terms of the stuff out of my personality profile and you know, maybe here are my skills and my values. And so everyone shares them all at the same time. Mm. And that means that, okay, we can all make ourselves a little bit more vulnerable all at the same time. And so I will, I'll be willing to do it for that purpose. But yeah, it's, it's a big one. Yeah, it's a shared vulnerability, it puts people at ease. What kind yeah. of uh, experiential learning exercises do you utilize to get people to become really vulnerable and comfortable with that? That's an interesting question. I think I, I am very wary of where that line is drawn because my, maybe my overarching thing is I want everyone to feel comfortable enough to participate. Mm. Because if they don't participate, then we don't have a team and the reviewing is less powerful. So I probably step back a little bit from the, the really full-on stuff where people feel quite vulnerable and ill at ease. But if, if I have the scope to run you know, a whole afternoon of games, then I can ramp it up gradually mm. to the point where there is a degree of physical vulnerability involved. So it, you know, the first bits might be things like a blindfolded task where people have lost a degree of control, yeah. but don't feel hugely unsafe. But then, you know, things like a trust falls, they are, for some people, they're stereotypical team bonding kind of task, but they still work. And it, it's a powerful image in people's heads of, I was willing to step up a ladder and fall into the arms of my mates even when I didn't think I could. And, and that's the kind of thing where they are suddenly physically vulnerable, particularly once their mates start having a laugh and a joke. And, and that can be quite a powerful one. But again, you have to be careful that you stay the right side of that line so that folks are still comfortable to participate. Yeah, for me, um, it's enabling someone to be frustrated in a safe way and then enabling them to look at how they can vent those frustrations without losing face. I've, those are the kind of things I've used before. So even silly games like um, lowering a, a, a bamboo cane to the floor. Yeah. You know, they, they, 
helium stick. Yeah. Even utilizing that exercise has enabled people to become vulnerable and frustrated and get these things out in the open because afterwards the skill is about reviewing it and enabling them to, to, to see what happened when they got frustrated and how that manifests in the workplace and going forward. Okay, that's an interesting one because I would probably use that at the next level up in terms of uh, dealing with conflict and, okay. and will almost sort of generate it myself that there is a, always a degree of conflict because the stick will always rise. Yes. But the, the way I can start to plant thoughts in people's heads about it being someone else's fault and, and you can see it written across their face and if you can then get them to express a little bit even if it's just agreeing with me, then you can start that process of, I thought it was your fault. It's, it then opens up more discussion along those lines. And so long as I can leave them uh, remembering that a lot of those thoughts were generated by me and actually the rest of their team aren't bad people, then it's okay. Uh, That's a great shout. A good link into the next level, the fear of conflict. Why do you think people yeah. do, don't want to have that conflict amongst the team? What do you think is going on there? So some of it comes from not actually being trusting of their teammates anyway. And and so they don't want to say anything that's a little out of turn. So they just, they internalise it. And I think ha having conflicting and disagreeing points of view is normal and natural. Yeah. And And that's the thing with the helium stick. You can... As I talk about it, you can see people nodding in agreement, even though they weren't willing to say anything themselves. But as soon as you point out that this was happening, then it almost allows them. Because previously, they, they don't want to be the person who rocks the boat, because they perceive that conflict is a bad thing, and they don't recognize that getting beyond the conflict is what makes a team strong. And so they think that, yeah, the, the fear of conflict gives us an artificial harmony. And because there is what they perceive to be harmony, which they think is good, they want to prolong that by not doing anything that uh, goes against it. Keeps them in their safe place. Yeah. They don't have to be vulnerable. We don't have to trust people. We'll just pretend that everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. me, a classic, a team that says, oh, we all get on really well, we never disagree. It's like, it's a red flag. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. What, what are you going to tell that person over there that they've just done something wrong? Oh, it's not that important, is it? It's not that important. We'll just let him get away with it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, especially when you're coaching the team and going forward with that. Yeah, so kind of things that we want to do then when it comes to this fear of conflict, how are we going to get them to embrace it? Let's not say conflict, but embrace the debate. I think I tend to do a, a chunk of stuff in terms of helping people to realize that different points of view are a key to a team being, being successful. I suppose I will try and use games or tasks that require creative ideas to come out. Mm. And for that, you need lots of ideas. So you've just got to, you've got to express whatever you think um, and build it up and then point out that, well, these are quite differing ideas. Um, and help people to recognize that saying what's on their mind is important, even though there will be other points of view expressed, but help them to see that other points of view will give different avenues to explore and 
and different strengths and and maybe help them to come to a better solution than if they were doing it on their own yeah it's about finding yeah. the real solution to the problem in front of them and i think i i talk a lot about teams need to be colorful with people who are really different and once we start talking about that then most people at least in their heads will recognize if i am that different from this other person then we won't agree on everything what do you mean by colorful different race different gender different culture different religion different experiences different education all these things that make up who we are and it's it's likely that in our team we will have lots of different colors because we won't all be the same culture or we won't i mean goodness even in even in glasgow we will find folks from the north of the river and the south of the river but particularly from the different sides of the football divide or people who have migrated to Glasgow from the West Coast and people who have moved in from Edinburgh. And these bring different perspectives and different ways of thinking. But then you start in with you know, people who have, like my original degree was engineering and I then went to work in an outdoor context. And I thought quite differently from people who had come straight into the outdoors from school. And that meant we could come up with different solutions to problems that were better than if it was just a bunch of engineers. I was fortunate to go to Manchester for a TEDx and a guy called David Epstein was talking there. David Epstein talks about range. David Epstein talks about how it's, it don't necessarily have to be an expert in one thing and therefore the solution doesn't have to be him. So he talks about Tiger Woods. Golf is a, is a, a way of looking at uh, of learning that you have to do the same thing same thing same thing that's what golf's all about there's nothing else for on it then he talked about roger federer who actually that wasn't the tennis player from way back when he was really young he did football he did basketball he did all sorts of different things and came into specialization later on in life and he brought all those things that he did earlier into this range and to become such a wonderful tennis player because we've tennis there's lots of different elements of different surfaces there's wind there's indoor there's outdoor all those kind of things that you have to take into place and he's saying that actually having range within a group or how you learn is is the way forward that's what you want so different aspects different perspectives to enable the solution to be done properly great so that which runs in really nicely to this uh, lack of commitment so the third level lack of commitment about absence of trust is fear of conflict now this lack of commitment just talk to me a bit more about what that's all about yeah i think that one of the other things i talk about in terms of team is having a common goal and there is this idea that yeah the team is working on something and everyone can stick their hand up and say yes i agree that that's a great goal to work towards i will commit to that and walk out of the team meeting and actually still be doing their own thing and following their own personal agendas and at that point you're not entirely clear are they with us or are they with the wallet and it's there's that ambiguity as to how much again can i trust them to deliver where do they stand are they with us in the, for the long haul because they they talk about being committed but they aren't really when push comes to shove and particularly you see that if if there are post meeting meetings where things have been agreed in a meeting 
and then a, a post meeting happens with a subset where they talk about the decision that was made and how they disagree with it. Yes. But it then it's it filters down. They didn't talk about how they disagreed with it in the main meeting, fear of conflict. Lack of trust because of that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Foundations are all there. Yeah. How do we get people involved then? Instead of being this vague personality that they're neither here nor there, they're just kind of in the background. How do we get people involved? I think some of it comes from yeah, building up the trust and the, the conflict and actually getting to a stage where in team meetings we can have open and frank discussions but that people are willing to say yes i i still disagree with the decision but i'm willing to put that to one side for the good of the team and sometimes it's about you know when as a team leader we we recognize that someone isn't isn't fully on board with the decision mm. it's is getting them to express that um, so that people know where they stand, but being willing to accept that that's where they stand. And, and I think it's, some of it I think comes down to the Amy Edmonton's idea of psychological safety, where mm. people can feel comfortable to express that. And we build an atmosphere where they are comfortable to express that. And, and just saying, okay, it's all right to say, I don't agree with this goal so long as you agree to commit to helping your team to reach that goal when i've been in the team and i've not been heard that's when i start to disengage if i've still got problems the people say yeah you'll be able to bring everything but i keep getting shouted down or put to, no no we haven't got time for that that kind of stuff that's when i stop to start to be disengaged and i don't commit to the task that is in hand if i'm heard am i issues are out and vented i can work through those and yeah. actually by being feeling as if i've been heard i can commit to whatever task is going on because it is about the team then not just about yeah. you and your glory that you're going for and i think a good team leader will notice if you have been heard or not but i think also a good team will recognize the people who are more vocal and start to police them a little bit, but also recognize the people who are less vocal that they need to draw out. And I'm thinking of one team where we did a whole load of tasks and it became apparent that half the team wouldn't shut up and half the team were literally in the back row looking into the team discussions and saying yeah. nothing. And so we, we reviewed that before we moved any further and just had this chat about you know, who speaks most and least. And then how do we tackle that? And it became apparent that one guy said, I need time to think about what I want to say in response to the discussion that's being had. And so the team members said, okay, we want to hear what you're saying. So we will deliberately give you time, but then quite specifically ask for that opinion. So he was being heard every time, but just a little bit later than everyone else. So yeah. I've had similar similar conversations with similar teams all the way through i think it's really important that the people who need to think and reflect are given the opportunity to i'm quite dynamic when i'm co-facilitating shall we say we do co-facilitating a few programs and if i've got someone who needs that time to think i'll record you know this isn't working we need to up the energy we need to do something let's just do this and go yeah boom 
And if I've got someone who's like me, they just go, great, let's go. But if I've got someone who needs to reflect, they can see the face go, oh, what are you trying to do? And the head starts to wobble. So I've learned to say, you know what? I think this, we need to change something up here. We need to look at how we're doing things. I've got this idea. What do you think about it? Those people will then go away for a few minutes and come back and say, you know what? Yeah, I get it. But what about this as well? Love it. Right, let's do that. And all of a sudden we feel part of the team because I've been able to voice my concerns. This is not working. They've been able to think about the fact that it's not working and we both come up with a solution. I think it's uh, very important yeah. to commit to. And I think, you know, with team meetings particularly, if, okay, I want to write an agenda and send it out, oh, well, no one's going to read it, so I won't bother. But if that person who needs more time to think has had a chance to read the agenda and go, oh, let me process what I think about these things, it's been worth it. So... Absolutely. And actually, they tend to offer up their solutions quicker because they've had that time pre-meeting to do that thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've probably thought about all the pros and cons of it. So they're, they're happy that this is a, a good solution from their perspective. And so they're really confident in it. So yeah. Always works. Win-wins. Great stuff. Yep. Because what we want to do is hold people to account. So this accountability thing, tell me about the fourth level. So... What I've found is that if if one person drops their standards and gets away with it, then other people go, why should I bother? Uh -huh. And if no one is going to call them out on it, then eventually that it pervades through the whole of the team and that that little poison kind of spreads and everyone just drops their standards a little bit. And all it takes is for someone to to have that authority given to them to say you need to uh, get your uh, game up again yeah and that's something that can be it can be decided as a team and say okay we know that we need to be at, at a level but we know that we want to keep each other at that level together it's our collective responsibility so we now give each other permission to hold us accountable which then means that someone who sees the uh, the low standards goes I've already been given permission to call them out on it. It's not a conflict situation. It's not that hard a thing to say. I just need to say, this is what I've noticed. Mm. I don't need to say you're a bad person. All I need to say is, we said we would reach this level and I've noticed that you haven't reached this level. How can I help you with it? Or whatever. That's a good shout. I do like contracting, agreeing norms on behaviors, yeah. on roles, on attitude, all those kind of things. But as a team, at the beginning of any kind of major um, program with a cohort or anything like that, we'll go through the expectations model. What do you expect from me? What do you expect from each other? What do you expect to learn? What do you expect to gain from this? And if we can get that and what not to do, and then in an agreed form, then accountability starts to happen because yeah you get them all to sign up for it yeah and I, i've done that in the past um where you know as part of a team building process we've been outside we've done some games we know how we are at the moment we know how we want to be mm. and we write that out in a set of standards and then make it into a, a big poster and in fact yeah. there's this one company i've worked with where they they've got posters all the way along the corridor um, from all the different teams that we've worked with Brilliant. and and there's a big picture of them all and then the, their set of standards and then all their signatures underneath and it, it's a very clear 
visual representation to the rest of the company, we as a team have signed up to be like this with each other. So it's almost like they've opened themselves up to be held accountable by all the rest of the company, not just their teammates. Very so, powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. Here's a question for you. One thing that we don't tend to, we can hold each other to account in our team, but how do we hold our stakeholders, our suppliers, uh, other teams to account so that we can still move forward? How do we build that up? I suppose that's, it's a, a question that we, we talk about, or that I talk about when it's a team of teams kind of scenario where it's the different silos from one company. And so we start talking about the whole, the big picture team um, and, and that we're all trying to, we're trying to work towards the common goal of the whole organization. And at that point, you can start to, to get people to buy into this idea that, you know, we're not a team in isolation. We are a team as part of the organization. So when it's uh, purchasing, well, they're always at fault because, oh, they're, no, hang on, we're all part of the same organization. So let's start think, thinking big like that. When it starts to become a supplier who is external to me, then it becomes a bit harder because potentially they can, they can always walk away and say, fine, you want me to be different? Well, I don't want to be, so I'll go and supply someone else. But actually, if we can help them to realize that a good working relationship where we are both working to our best is in both of our interests, then, yeah, there are discussions that can be had. But once you are in different organizations, then it's it's harder to get agreement. Yeah, but I think that I agree but disagree. I think there's an opportunity okay. there. And, I, and I, only because I think what, what we tend to forget is that it, it is a wider team. If you've got a supplier, they are supplying your team or your organization. And therefore, yeah. if you can engage them in the way, you know, you are part of us. We yeah. bought your services. This is what we expect. If you want to have a longer term relationship with us, this is what we would like. What do you need from us? What do you need from you? Yeah. All those previous four elements, we start to build up the trust. We start to debate, not conflict. We start to be committed to each other and then the, we can hold each other to account. I think it's really important that we, this is new, going, new norm or whatever we want to talk about going forward is that it's really important to get out of the route that we are definitely going to be in, that we have to think about everybody's part is part of our organization, yeah. not just our little team here. Yeah, I agree. Nice one. Good. Last one then, because it's all very well that we trust each other, that we debate, that we are committed, that we are accountable, but we've got to get the results. So this inattention to results, tell me more about this final leg of uh, final level of uh, Lencioni's dysfunctions ultimately we are all individuals however much we are signed up to the team and we all have in the background our own life goals or whatever and sometimes we allow them to get in the way because we don't always perceive that they are being met by the results that our team is getting and so we start to get distracted and we take our eye off the team goals ball, as it were, and focus more on ourselves again. And so we start to make it more about me. And, and I want to get what I need from this mm. 
instead of recognising that when the team is successful, we will all get kudos for that, whatever part we have played in it. And, and we start to, to go down the selfish kind of, it's all about me route. And particularly if the team starts to look like they won't get good results, you find some folks who are immediately polishing their CV and trying to put some kind of spin on things so that they come out of this not as successful uh, thing with enough success attached to them that they can sell it to a new employer. And so it becomes about status and ego for the individual because they've lost sight of, I am part of the team. And, and yes, if, if, the team, if the team is strong and performing well, then they'll take it on the chin together and they'll accept that we weren't as perfect as we could be. They'll mm. review it and they'll find ways to improve and they will move on together and become more successful. Excellent. Who should set the standard, the result targets then? Who should set what? So sometimes they are imposed and that's the reality of it. But if the team has a degree of choice as to what success looks like, then it will come down to the, the team leader and the team and how they currently interact and what that leader's style is. But ideally, if you can get the team to agree what success will look like and sign up to it, mm. then they've written the rule book and so they will conform to it. I think that's a perfect way of, of putting it. Thank you very much. I think there's yeah. a real opportunity for leaders to actually say, you know what, what can we achieve? I think we can achieve here. What do you think? And sometimes we'll actually come back and say, yeah, we can achieve more because we're going to start working together. The sum of our collective is better than just one individual. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, that's where the leader's role is about inspiration and helping the team to recognize how strong they could be and inspire them to want to get there and to produce the best results that they can rather than results that are okay. And it's about actually pushing and stretching. The, the more you stretch, the better it is. The more they learn, the more they learn about each other. If they're allowed to slump back into their comfort zone, what, can, what could happen there? I think once folks become a bit complacent, then they, they don't push themselves because, well, I'm comfortable here. It's not worth the stress. I'm not getting paid enough. And actually they start to fall back on extrinsic kind of motivators mm. instead of being motivated within themselves to do the best job that they can because they want to be proud of what they have achieved and yes we don't want to get too far out of our comfort zone for all of the time because we will be a bit overstretched maybe but but if we're not stretched then we get bored and once we're bored then we find other ways to amuse ourselves and then people start to snip away at the previous levels the trust starts to go away the conflict starts to arrive but it's not dealt with all the rest of the things that comes on how many teams have you worked with that actually don't need much work on any of these levels they come in pretty tight what what do they look like oh they look few and far between to be honest because i think i think with a lot of teams they this is not rocket science to them. This is not necessarily, it's maybe a new way of describing things for them, but mm. they understand how people ought to behave with each other. 
but in the stress of deadlines and getting stuff out the door, they sometimes let their interpersonal standards slip a bit. Um, like we've talked about, once they slip a wee bit, then they slip further. And it's a case of reminding themselves and recognizing which bits are we doing less well that we need to focus on just now. Um, but every now and then you get a team and you think, why am I here? Um, but they are the teams who are, they are keen to continue to improve themselves. And so they're always looking to find you know, new avenues and, and maybe just a fresh pair of eyes. Back to the, the difference thing. There's someone who thinks differently to them coming in from outside will see things that they've not yet noticed. And that's, yeah, the tight teams are pretty good until they get someone else in. And that's, that's when they start to think about, right, okay, how are we going to integrate this person? What do they bring? Why aren't we not getting to know them? And just yeah. embedding that new person in, in, in with them, even if it's a new leader, especially if it's a new leader, actually, because that's where the real joy comes from. How does a new yes. leader put his own stamp on this very tight team? Yeah, it's an interesting one because if the team have been almost self-managing up to that point, then a, a new leader, well, we don't need another leader. We're, we're fine without you, thank you. But yet, I think the, the really good teams recognise that someone with a different perspective will bring them something positive because it will be a new perspective on their way of working who might have something that they've never, ever thought of or something that they've seen or that they've that the team has thought about before, but the manager has seen in action and knows that it will work. So they might have dismissed it because, oh, we don't know. But the manager comes in and says, well, I've seen it work. And they're inspired to try something that they've previously dismissed. Fantastic. Well, that's been a brilliant journey through the pyramid. Good old Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team. So if you're listening in, Try and build up your trust. Avoid, don't avoid conflict. Embrace it. It's okay to be vulnerable. Be committed to each other. Committed to what you need to achieve. Hold each other to account and pay attention to the results that should and could happen if you do all those things. Anything else you'd like to add to those five elements? I think that, that kind of sums it all up. Um, they are, they're a useful way of stopping to look at your team and going, okay, where, where have we got to and what other things might we be needing to work on? Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate that. So what's next for Square Peg Coaching? So as a person who has typically worked with experiential things in the outdoors, I'm currently working on developing new things that will work on Zoom or elsewhere and trying to develop ways of allowing team members to interact so that we can still get some learning out of that. But the whole digital world is something that I have shied away from in the past few years. And now I'm having to embrace it and go, okay, how can we provide value for managers and teams who want to be better? It is a brave new world now. You've got oh, yeah. to embrace it. But don't forget to go for your five levels if you're working with a team. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. This has been another lively podcast from Lessons from the Living Room, and we hope to hear from you soon. Cheers then, and thanks very much.